Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Shereen, was I making you nervous there? I was on a phone call right up until the yeah. post. I knew when I had to get off. I kept I kept indicating with various fingers and gestures that I knew that uh, I got off the phone just in time for the show. Sometimes you got to take that call. Sometimes you may get something that may help us advance the ball during the show. We'll see whether or not that helps us advance the ball. But uh, we're going to advance the ball through this landscape of NFL news with a game from last night, a game tomorrow mid to late afternoon, and uh, plenty more happening in the NFL. We've got our Week 12 awards coming up. MDS will join us. We've got a 49ers-Rams rewatch we'll be doing. And otherwise, good afternoon. Shereen, how's everything? Well, it's good, Mike, and I had full confidence in you that you would be on when you said you were going to be on, and here you are. So thank you for, for being timely. If, if all else failed, you could have just taken it while I was on the telephone, but I wasn't going to let it come Absolutely. to that. The show must <laughs> go on, and for the NFL, the show eventually must go on, even though it went from Thursday night to Sunday night to Tuesday night to now Wednesday, 3.40 p.m. Eastern Time, we are in the window where news will begin to emerge, maybe as we're on the show, regarding whether or not there were additional positive test results for today's batch of off-site PCR tests for Ravens players. I don't know what additional positives would do. The NFL seems hell-bent on getting this game in. Tomorrow, 3.40 p.m. Eastern, the game was bumped another day because players did not want to play today with no ability to practice. They practice today, walk through, and they get some guys back. They're going to head to Pittsburgh tomorrow. J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram will join them in Pittsburgh. They are back now. This game has been delayed so long that two of the guys who tested positive nine days ago are going to be back tomorrow. So if you kick the can long enough, you get back the first two players that you presumed you were going to lose. I don't know how much that's going to help because they still don't have Lamar Jackson, but it, it's better to have those two guys and not just Gus Edwards and whoever else is hanging around to run the ball. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And you don't want to be in a situation like the Broncos were, were in without a quarterback. You don't want to be without one of your leading running backs or offensive linemen or whatever it is, and they're still going to be down. They're going to be down a bunch of players tomorrow night, and I don't give them much of a chance, and I know we're going to talk about that later in the show, but they do have some guys back, and they will put a legitimate NFL team on the field, so that's a good thing there. One thing, Mike, you pointed this out, that Mike Tomlin probably wasn't real happy last week when Steelers players went off about the game being postponed from Thanksgiving night and ruining their mini-buy that they were going to have. I have seen nothing, and maybe I dismissed it, but I have seen nothing from Steelers players complaining about this in the past few days. Have you seen anything? I haven't seen anything, and I think that that uh, for two reasons. First of all, Mike Tomlin, whether he deliberately allowed them to use social media to vent or it just was in a blind spot for him, they slammed the door on that after that initial wave of complaints we saw last Wednesday. And also, there was a period of time where the Steelers thought maybe they were going to be in a full-blown outbreak. There were a few days where it got dicey last week, and it could have gone either way. And it ended up resolving in favor of not having a situation. So I think the the Steelers eventually came to understand this can happen to anyone. And 
And, you know, to get back to where we were before the season began, everybody understands that there will be inequities this year. There will be things that we look at and say, that's not fair. Well, no, a lot of things aren't going to be fair, and some things will be less fair than others, like having to to play on 24 hours notice with no quarterbacks, like the Broncos had to do. But the NFL decided in October that there are 256 boxes to check in the regular season, and they're going to put a check mark in as many of them as possible, and ideally in every single one. And that's the most amazing aspect of this. Look, I, I'm not going to proclaim success or failure by the NFL big picture, but I think the NFL has found a way to stay on the bicycle through some pretty rocky terrain. And we have a full season, Mike. We don't have a complete season, but we do have a full season. They could stop right now and go to the playoffs, and we'd know who the playoff teams were, and we'd feel pretty comfortable with who those playoff teams are for the most part. I mean, it's not going to matter who wins the NFC East anyway, right? So, you know, we we would have a full uh, playoff field that, that we would feel good about, and I think we know who the best teams in the NFL are, and I think that it would end up that way if we started the playoffs next week or the week after and didn't play any more regular season. So they've been very successful up to this point in getting the games in and yes they it, it hasn't always been uh competitively favorable to some teams we knew that going into this season that was probably going to happen and it has unfortunately for the broncos and some other teams that have had to go through this uh with limited personnel short practices no notice whatever the case may be every team pretty much has gone through this this season We've made the comparison to baseball several times this year. The bottom of the fifth scenario, the game becomes official. The season now, you could say, is official because everyone's played at least 11 games. And in 1982, everyone played exactly nine games, and they crowned a champion with 16 playoff teams. The difference, though, is in 1982, they knew when the season was going to end. And there were fewer teams also. There were four fewer teams, correct me if I'm wrong, but at least four fewer teams. There were 28 teams in 1982. 16 of the 28 teams made it to the playoffs. I have kicked around this idea, and I'm just going to spitball it. we got some time here, so I'm just going to throw it out there and see what you think of it, Shereen. If there would be some crazy development now where all of a sudden everything is haywire and the NFL says we just can't proceed The game is over. The season is done. We're going to progress to a postseason at some point in early January. We're shutting it all down. I think what they should do, if they get to a point where these teams that are trying to make a late kick can't get that fair opportunity to make their late kick, whether it's the 49ers, whether it's the Vikings, whether it's any team out there that's in the hunt when you look at the playoff picture, how about 24 teams in the postseason but it would start with the last eight would it be the last eight whittling it down I had an idea and I I can't get my arms around it but I I want to get to 16 eventually but the last maybe it would be 20 teams that get in the last four would play each other and like 12 would get a bye and eight would whittle to four maybe that's it you put 20 teams in there it is not 24 20 teams get in and the last eight become the last four seeds of one through 16. What do you think of that? I actually like that. And I think everyone would like that. I think teams in the NFL would like that. I think fans would like that. They would eat that up because it'd be obviously single elimination, get more teams in the playoffs. You never know what can happen once you get there. 
you know, a team like the 49ers, say they get Jimmy Garoppolo back and some of the players they were talking about today that they may be getting back, would you want to play them in the postseason? I certainly wouldn't, even if they're that last seed to get into the postseason. So you never know what would happen with some of those lower-seeded teams. But I think it would be fantastic, and I think fans would love that too. And the teams at the bottom certainly would love that. Like you said, a team like the Vikings who's fighting to get in. Maybe they go get in the playoffs and get hot with Dalvin Cook. And, and I misspoke earlier. The Ravens are heading to Pittsburgh tonight. Planes, I'm told, leave at 7 o'clock Eastern. And as of now, 5.09 p.m. Eastern, no news of any positive PCR results from the testing that was done earlier today. So good news for the Ravens. Good news. I, I would still be a little nervous about getting on the plane, but double mask it, eye goggles, keep your distance, and hold your breath as long as you can on the short trip from Baltimore to Pittsburgh by plane. And, and we're going to talk later about some of the X's and O's and how this game's actually going to go, but there will be a foot ga- football game tomorrow. Uh, and, and you know, didn't the NFL learn earlier this year not to put a game on while we're on? What the hell is that? So exactly. we're, we're going to be multitasking, maybe some unofficial supplementary play-by-play of the game itself while we are on the air tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Here's a crazy one, Shireen. If you thought that the Broncos having no quarterbacks available, by the way, they're all now officially back except for Jeff Driscoll, who tested positive, the three who were knocked out on Saturday and placed on COVID reserve because of close proximity to Jeff Driscoll from that meeting that happened last week. Those three are back, Brett Rippon, Drew Locke, and Blake Bortles. That was strange in and of itself. And and look, I've I've taken great pains to not disclose the name of the coach. I know who the coach is, but one of the assistant coaches, and I didn't understand this. And I had this thing in my pocket for two days before I finally wrote it because I wanted to make sure I understood exactly what happened. I gave everyone involved, the team, the league, and the uh, and the testing company, Bioreference Laboratories, an opportunity to to respond. Um, when you do a point-of-care test, there's apparently a machine involved. And the machine gets calibrated. And the machine gets calibrated with some sort of compound that registers a positive so you know the machine is properly working or properly calibrated to determine whether or not someone is positive. Well, they use some synthetic compound, not live virus, to calibrate the machine to make sure the machine is ready to properly show positives. And one thing led to another, yada, 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 a swab with that synthetic compound that is used to calibrate the machine ended up the nose of a Broncos assistant coach. Now, and, and, you know, someone along the way told me, well, you know, we've done 700,000 of these tests this year. It's like, yeah, but this is the kind of mistake that should never happen, even if you do 700 million of them. Um and, and there was concern. Now, oh, there's no chance he could have been infected. You know, bioreference laboratories declined comment. They say they never talk about these kinds of situations. But, but they knew what I was going to report, and uh, they didn't push back on what I told them I was going to report. They just declined comment. It's just odd. It's just strange. And it shows you weird things can happen when you're dealing with this this element on top of everything else you deal with as a football team and I guess it's just something to be aware of and and maybe if you're being tested especially point of care keep your eyes open and don't be afraid to ask questions if if it looks like something's unfolding maybe the way that it shouldn't unfold especially if you're being tested on a regular basis and you become aware of the procedure keep your eyes open 
and have your mouth ready to move if you say, wait, wait a minute, I'm not sure that that thing should go up my nose. And, and here's the other wrinkle. Since I've reported that, Shereem, I've heard from another coach who possibly had something similar happen. We've yet to nail that down to the point where we can report it, but uh, it may not have been the only time it happened this season. You know, Mike, of all the crazy stories we've had this year, incredible stuff that we never expected to be talking about, writing about, whatever, about this to me ranks as the most unfathomable thing that has happened all year. And I am sure that coach was scared to death that he had been infected by the virus, not of his own doing. And can you imagine what would have happened, Mike, if he had gotten the virus based on that swab going up his nose? As you said, whether they do 700,000 to this point or 700 million, this is something that should absolutely never happen. And the fact that it happened once is incredible. If it happened more than once, it's unbelievable. Uh, and and there need to, needs to be an investigation of why this is happening and continue to happen if that's the case. Yeah, and again, the, the folks involved will say there was no chance he was infected, but it, it was enough that he did test positive on the point-of-care test. He was out for a day, didn't get infected, but when the president of the testing company calls you up to personally apologize, something happened. That shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Something happened to mobilize the CEO of this company that otherwise would seem to be you know, a fairly busy person to make that phone call and try to put the person's mind at ease. But the concern was still there. So uh, just a strange situation. And uh, I, again, if, if you're only being tested once, you don't know what to look for. But if you're being tested on a regular basis, keep your eyes open. Any coaches, any players out there, because there's the chance something could happen that shouldn't happen. Last night, we expected what would happen. It would be the Seattle Seahawks losing or winning, excuse me, over the Philadelphia Eagles, although they didn't cover to the chagrin of the person who put $500,000 on the Seahawks giving <laughs> six and a half points, proving yet again, don't bet. And, and I know that people say, well, if you're going to bet $500,000, that means you got plenty more out there to lose. It's still $500,000. I don't care how much money you have. If you lose half a million after-tax dollars, that hurts. Not that I've ever done it or ever planned to or ever could get clearance from my wife to, 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 to bet 500 much less 5000 It hurts. I don't care if you're Warren Buffett, losing $500,000 would have to hurt badly, especially the way that that person lost it last night. Yeah, my, hopefully they had bets on some other games. But, yeah, the, the way it happened with the, the late touchdown and the two-point conversion, I mean, come on. You didn't expect that to happen. They were party already counting their money, and, and then, oh, my gosh, we didn't cover there. But hopefully there were other bets to help make up for that $500,000 loss. Yeah, hey, who knows? Maybe the person's been on a hot streak and the 500000 is just a rare loss and all the others were winners. Uh, DK Metcalf, big winner with a career-high 177 yards against the Philadelphia Eagles. He had 160 against them in the playoff win last year. He's extra motivated when he plays the Eagles because they're one of the teams that passed on him just seven spots before he was picked, and they drafted a receiver, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. So extra motivation for DK Metcalf. Here's Pete Carroll. Maybe we have that. Pete Carroll from today talking about the comment that was made by Jim Schwartz, the Eagles defensive coordinator, 
to DK Metcalf before the game. Apparently, it was intended by Schwartz to be a compliment comparing Metcalf to Calvin Johnson, who played for Jim Schwartz. Metcalf took it as shade. Here's Pete Carroll weighing in on the exchange between Schwartz and Metcalf. Megatron's kind of a thing of the past, you know, not many people know about that. I mean, I, if he'd have called, said something, referred to him like the Mandalorian, you know, I think it'd be a little more appropriate. Um, but uh, I, mean, I, I wouldn't mind calling DK the Mandalorian anytime he wants. Pete Carroll would later post the graphic of uh, DK Metcalf with the Mandalorian helmet on uh, on his head but look I, I even and, and sims and i argued about this today because sims thought i was being too hard on schwartz because schwartz apparently was trying to compliment dk metcalf when you know that a guy's already wired to have a chip on his shoulder he's going to process everything you say in a way that strengthens that feeling he's not going to let himself go soft because somebody's coming over and paying him a compliment. He's going to do the Michael Jordan thing, and he's going to turn any statement that's made into more of a diss to get him even more motivated to go out and kick your butt. So don't even try, would be my advice, to any coach from any opposing team that thinks he's going to say something before a game to get DK Metcalf to be less motivated, Shereen. Or frankly, Mike, any player. We know that players use everything and anything to motivate themselves and sometimes it's silly it's absolutely stupid stuff that they do to motivate them later in the show we're going to talk about motivation for Debo Samuel probably but these players look for motivation especially these diva receivers they, they look for any kind of chip on the shoulder that they can have to go into a game and, and really play well and he did it and he's going to use the motivation probably from now on against the eagles kind of like randy moss did against the cowboys for years and years and years and they regretted they didn't draft randy moss and he kept using that as motivation against the cowboys and i'm sure dk metcalf will continue to do that against the eagles if not against every other team that he plays all he needs is one little comment and that's going to set him off obviously one of the things that helps make receivers great, not being taken in round one, being passed over multiple times, you, you do get that chip on your shoulder and it stays with you, whether it's Michael Thomas, Chase Claypool this year, who was the 11th receiver off the board, are you kidding me? And also DK Metcalf, the last player taken in round two last year. Will Fuller was a first-round pick the year that Michael Thomas ended up in round two. And Will Fuller, the only one, there were three receivers taken, bang, bang, bang. It was Fuller. It was Laquan Treadwell, and it was Josh Doxson. I think Fuller was the first, then Doxson, then Treadwell. And Fuller, the only one who's really worked out. He was suspended six games, or it's not official yet, but he announced yesterday he was suspended six games for a PED violation. I'm told that the excuse that he provided on social media isn't the standard dog ate my homework, I didn't intentionally cheat response. I mean, the problem is because every guy who tests positive uses some version of I didn't deliberately take a banned substance the ones who actually didn't deliberately take a banned substance have a harder time convincing people but I'm told that that uh, legal action and this may or may not be related to the phone call that I had earlier legal action uh, is contemplated as a way to make back some of the nearly three million dollars that Will Fuller will lose by taking the suspension now, serving five games, and not having it hover over him for more than one game as he becomes a free agent after having the best year of his career. So there's an intention to try to make that that money back by going after the doctor. I still don't know why you rely on that doctor when the union and presumably your team tells you over and over again that there are resources to check 
before you put anything in your body other than what you know is approved by the league and the union. Yeah, and Texas cornerback Bradley Roby, same situation, Mike, apparently happened the same way, and he announced his six-game suspension on Twitter yesterday as well. But going back to Will Fuller, do you trust this guy? I mean, he's going to become a free agent in the offseason. Do you trust him? Because he's missed 22 games. He missed 22 games in his first four seasons. Now he's serving a six-game suspension, which one game will carry over to next season. Obviously, probably why he didn't appeal, because he's going to become a free agent. He doesn't want that hanging over his head next year when he joins his new team, presumably. Or maybe he resigns with the Texans, whatever the case may be. Wherever he ends up, he wants to get that over with and get done. But is this a guy you're going to trust, especially considering the, the position he plays and all the great receivers? I was seeing about this today, Mike. There are more great receivers right now in the NFL probably than at any other position. And when you start talking about Pro Bowls and all pros, it's going to be very difficult to pick guys. But there's a guy like Chris Godwin who's becoming a free agent. Tons of free agents. You look at what these rookie receivers are doing in the draft. I'm not sure I'm going out and spending big money on Will Fuller next spring. I agree with you. I think his best-case scenario is a one-year deal in a pass-happy offense where he can prove that he can stay healthy, be productive, not get popped again under the PED policy and try to get paid in 2022, especially with the salary cap as low as it's expected to be in 2021. Then again, we may be in for a low salary cap for years to come as they make back the money that they lost this year during the pandemic. All right, when we return, we're going to hand out our weekly prizes sorry no money involved no trophies involved not even a sheet of paper like the nfl gives its players of the week just satisfaction for the recognition the week 12 awards mds will join us we'll do that when we return on the PS. get excited the new original series Saved by the Bell is streaming now exclusively on Peacock. Bayside is back with new students, new stories, and some very familiar faces. But not to me. Start streaming now. Sorry, I never watched the show. It wasn't in my demographic. It wasn't in my age group. Shireen, I suspect you didn't watch Saved by the Bell. Maybe MDS was part of the Saved by not. the Bell You better generation. believe I'm part of the Saved by the Bell generation. I could, <laughs> we should I, have I you do the read. Sorry to our Peacock overlords that I have not watched the new one yet, but you better believe I watched Saved by the Bell, the original. All right, prove it. Name four characters. Come on, Zach Morris was the main character. A.C. Slater, Screech. Uh, Kelly was uh, Zach's love interest. Jesse was kind of Slater's love interest. And Lisa was kind of Screech's love interest. Now, see, I don't know whether or not you're just making that up because Mr. I have Belding no, I have no answer you know key. I, I can go on all day and tell you all about, <laughs> do you not even know like the very special episode when Jesse got hooked on caffeine pills? Come on. I'm so excited. No, I'm, I'm so one. excited. I'm so scared. You don't know any of this? Don't know any of that. All I we're, know we're is that Jim Harbaugh. contacting us outraged that you guys do not know these Saved by the Bell references. All I know is Jim Harbaugh showed up on Saved by the Bell wearing dad jeans years before he was ever a dad. That's all I know about Saved by the Bell. All right, well, MDS, next time you're on, if we have another Saved by the Bell read, you get to do it on the way back from break. Let's get to our awards for Week 12. As we always do, round robin through four categories, offensive player, defensive player, rookie of the week, coach of the week, MDS, you are up with the best offensive player of the week. 
Well, Patrick Mahomes could really get this award every week, so it gets a little boring recognizing him. But I'll go ahead and do so. After his sensational game against the Buccaneers, Mahomes had 462 yards and I think is now clearly the favorite to win league MVP. Uh, It'll be his second one if he wins it, and he may win many more. MDS, you remember a couple weeks ago when all of us picked a Rams defensive player? We could definitely do that again this week with the Chiefs offense, but I went off the board. I didn't pick Tyreek Hill or Travis or Kelsey or any of those guys that you could have picked. Instead, I went Derrick Henry, and he's just been a monster, and he was a monster in that Colts uh, game, the 45-26 victory. And I don't know if you guys saw this on social media, but they had a a picture of Matt Eberflus, who's the Colts defensive coordinator. They had a picture of his play sheet. And number one at the top, it said, number one goal, stop the run. They didn't do that. And now the Colts went from number one in total defense to number five in total defense. And guess what? Derrick Henry leads the league in rushing by over 100 yards over Dalvin Cook. He's just been a monster this season. And I think we should at least start mentioning him in that MVP conversation. There was that strange moment a couple weeks ago when Ryan Tannehill almost sounded like a head coach or an offensive coordinator when he was explaining why Derrick Henry's touches deliberately had gone down. And I talked to Tannehill after the game. I said, what's happened the last two games? He's had 55 carries combined. He said, you have to ask the coaches. There's certain irony in that (laughs) remark. But uh, he also added that they know they need to ride Derrick Henry if they want to get to where they want to be. And they're on their way with Derrick Henry. For me, I got to give Deshaun Watson some love. Back to last Thursday, the Thanksgiving game, he was 15 or 25, excuse me, attempts, 17 completions, four touchdowns, a passer rating of 150.4. He's got 15 touchdown passes, zero picks his last six games. If the Texans weren't four and seven, he'd be up there on the short list of MVP candidates. And I guess there's a weird sort of way he could thread the needle if the Texans could win the rest of their games and somehow steal the seven seed. I don't see that happening, even if they finish nine and seven. And now that Will Fuller's out for the rest of the season due to the PED suspension, I doubt that it'll happen. But Deshaun Watson's still proving that by far he's the best thing that the Texans have on offense. And he makes that job more attractive when they try to find a general manager and a head coach after the season. All right, defensive player of the week, MDS, who do you have? Xavier Howard had an interception. He knocked down three passes. The Dolphins' defense held the Jets to just three points. Howard is now the league leader with seven interceptions. And, you know, the Dolphins have a really good chance of making the playoffs this season. And Howard is a big reason for that. I like the way the Dolphins' defense is playing. I like the way Brian Flores is coaching. I I, I give Xavier Howard a lot of credit for being a part of that defense that I think is better than people think. And I think the Dolphins may be a tougher team to beat in January if they get there than people think. MDS, I thought we saw some of the best defensive performances of the season this week, and it was really hard. And and I, mine came down to two guys who I thought just dominated, and that was Aaron Donald and Joey Bosa. But I have a feeling we're going to talk about Aaron Donald in the next segment. So I picked Joey Bosa, and he was flat-out dominant in that loss to the Bills. He had eight tackles, three sacks, five quarterback hits, six tackles for loss, a pass defense, and guess what? A fumble recovery. He did everything possible to help his team win that game. And, of course, the clock management from Anthony Lynn and some of the decision-making didn't help 
the Bills, the Chargers pull out the victory over the Bills, but Joey Bosa was not the reason for that. He was outstanding on Sunday. We're going to be talking more about the 49ers-Rams game in the next segment, but Jimmy Ward, safety, had a huge day. He forced two turnovers in the first half. They managed to score zero points off of either of the turnovers he forced, but that's not his job. That's the offense's job. He stepped up in a big, big way for a 49ers defense that upset the Rams. They, they Look, they, they were up 17-3. Next thing you know, the Rams are up 20-17. to The 49ers held it together and got the win, but Ward was a big part of that, so he deserves some recognition for a defense that is getting better and better, and Robert Sala's name emerging late in the year. That's the best time for it to emerge as a, another head coaching candidate. Last year, he, he didn't get a job, and this year, Early on, it looked like the 49ers weren't going to be good enough for him to get a job, and now they're moving in the direction where they may have to find a new defensive coordinator after the season. All right, Rookie of the Week time, MDS, who do you have? Well, Jeremy Chin is who I have. He's a rookie safety for the Panthers out of Southern Illinois who did something I can't ever remember seeing before. He scored touchdowns on back-to-back plays from scrimmage. Kirk Cousins fumbled. Jeremy Chin picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown. After the ensuing kickoff, Dalvin Cook fumbles on the very first play of the next drive. Jeremy Chin picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown. I don't ever remember seeing that where a player scores on back-to-back plays from scrimmage, but he, he's a really good-looking rookie. One of a lot of young guys I like on this Panthers team. They're not really there yet. They, they ended up losing the game despite getting those two touchdowns, but I think the Packers are the Panthers are a team we're going to be looking at over the next few years and saying, They built a young nucleus of guys that grew together, and I think Jeremy Chin is one of those guys. I think he was the obvious choice this week, MDS, and it's a weird week because we're not picking any of the quarterbacks because, of course, Joe Burrow is out, but we didn't pick any of the uh, one of the other quarterbacks for obvious reasons. Tua didn't play, and, and Justin Herbert didn't have a very good game. So I'm picking Antonio Gibson, and his name keeps popping up. I think it's the second consecutive week I've picked him the third time overall, but he was outstanding in that Thanksgiving Day game against the Cowboys. 20 carries, 115 yards, and three touchdowns and he caught five catches for 21 yards. He outplayed Zeke Elliott, one of the highest-paid running backs in football. And MDS, I know you're going to say, that's why you don't pay running backs big money. And he did show that. Antonio Gibson I'm talking about on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, Gibson the first rookie since Randy Moss in 1998 to score three touchdowns on Thanksgiving. And MDS on Jeremy Chin. I saw a tweet earlier today from the NFL, one of the one of the various NFL Twitter accounts, that Jeremy Chin is the first defensive player with multiple fumble recoveries returned for touchdowns in the same game since 1948. And I, I don't know whether or not it's ever happened on back-to-back plays from scrimmage. I have a feeling it hasn't because it's only ever happened three times in the 101-year history of the league. All right, for me, the Rookie of the Week, Justin Jefferson, the Vikings receiver. Peter King called me Sunday night. First question out of his mouth. Who would you take over the next five years setting aside contract value, Justin Jefferson or Stephon Diggs? And it's a no-brainer. I'd take Justin Jefferson. He passes the test. He's obviously great, and he's he's bigger than Stephon Diggs, and, and he seems more explosive than Stephon Diggs ever was. It took him a while to get going because the Vikings offense, frankly, was crap the first two weeks of the season, but he has been incredible. Added two touchdowns on Sunday in the comeback win against the Carolina Panthers. Only 70 receiving yards, but still, 
Jefferson is the real deal. He's getting it done, and uh, he's going to be a guy that that Vikings offense builds around. And and it's great redemption for the Vikings because after they traded Randy Moss, they drafted Troy Williamson with the seventh overall pick. He was a total bust. They've tried with other first-round receivers. Percy Harvin was Offensive Rookie of the Year, but he ended up being a guy that they fortunately were able to flip for a first-round pick plus, but he didn't work out. Laquan Treadwell didn't work out. Well, now... Justin Jefferson looks like he's going to work out and he's going to be a mainstay there for a long time. All right, coach of the week time, MDS, who do you have? I have Kyle Shanahan. And, you know, the 49ers are not where they expected to be this season at five and six. But I would have to say, considering all the injuries they've been hit with, I'm quite impressed that they're even five and six. I think there are a lot of teams that would have completely gone into the tank and a lot of coaches who would not have been able to field even a competitive team the way Kyle Shanahan has 49ers aren't just competitive. They're beating good teams as they did the Rams on Sunday. Their schedule down the stretch is pretty tough. And I think they're already five and six. You may have to go 10 and six to earn a playoff berth, depending on how the NFC shakes out. So probably still a long shot to think they'd actually make the playoffs, but the mere fact that the 49ers aren't already out of it, I think is a real testament to Kyle Shanahan having done a great job this season. MDS, I'm going to pick the coach whose team currently sits atop the NFC East standings, Joe Judge. They've won three in a row. Nobody thought the Giants would be here at this point of the season. They're playing really well. I mean, you look at their two losses over the last uh, six games. They've won four of six. They lost by one point to Philadelphia and two points to Tampa Bay. He's got this team competitive. Unfortunately for them, when you look at that schedule, who they have left, I don't know that we're going to be talking about Joe Judge again this season. Yeah, I mean, when you look at that, they they have the easiest road in the NFC East the rest of the way. Uh, They have a Daniel Jones problem, potentially. He may miss this week's game. Who knows? They're being deliberately vague about it, which is a good veteran coaching move. But there is a difference between Daniel Jones and Colt McCoy, as we saw last week. But the Giants held on to win. And uh, they are currently in first place along with Washington, whom they've swept uh, for first place in the NFC East. All right, Coach of the Week for me. And going into this weekend, the one game that I thought for sure would go the way that I'd predicted was the Raiders going to Atlanta and beating the Falcons. And the extra motivation for John Gruden was simple. It was Raheem Morris who took over in Tampa after Gruden was fired. And I vividly recall the way that that all came down. They lined up Morris to take the job before they fired Gruden. And when you look at the way that Gruden still kind of sneers and says he got traded as if he wasn't part of the discussions and the decision-making that got him traded to Tampa Bay, I could see him getting himself all fired up like DK Metcalf, that he's going against the coach that took his job, the coach that stabbed him in the back, even though you know a lot of that stuff would be embellished. And instead, Gruden walks into a buzzsaw, 43-6, to Raheem Morris. My goodness. After reeling from getting overpowered by the Saints, very easy to just mail it in the rest of the way, very easy to accept your fate. For them to beat the Raiders the way they did, and one of the points Sims made, and, you know, in hindsight, yeah, it makes sense. I wish we would have saw it coming. Morris understands the Gruden offense. He knows where the bread and butter plays are. He knows how to shut it down because he was part of that staff, and it worked, and they shut him down. It was a huge embarrassment for the Raiders, but a great positive for the Falcons. Falcons have a long shot to get to the playoffs, but Raheem Morris doing what he can 
to get himself the head coaching job next year. And he's going to be a viable candidate if they keep winning. And if Todd Gurley simply hadn't fallen into the end zone a few weeks ago, they'd be right in the thick of things in the NFC wildcard race. And uh, they still may find a way to pull themselves into it. All right, let's, uh, let's take a break. MDS, thanks, as always, for some of your time. When we return, Shereen Williams and I will take a closer look at Rams 49ers. Our weekly rewatch will happen right after this on PFTPM. When Jared's having a tough time like he had in Miami, like he had yesterday, at any point during those games, do you consider putting him on the bench, if not for a series or the rest of the game? You know, um, if I thought it was going to be the best thing to just take a deep breath and step away, then I'd say, you know, maybe, but not in either of those situations because both of those reflected, you know, kind of having an opportunity where there was enough plays made to get back in it. Um, you know, Dolphins game may be a little bit different, but I thought it was important to be able to play through some of those things, learn from it, especially just based on some of the things that they were activating defensively. That's Sean McVay yesterday when he was asked a fairly straightforward question if he considered benching Jared Goff. And, you know, if you've got a franchise quarterback, that's the kind of question, even if you're Sean McVay and you're great with the media and you're not like Bill Belichick who would scoff and roll his eyes and say on to Cincinnati, you make quick work of that question. That answer went on a lot longer than what we showed you. I was stunned, Shireen, that it wasn't a, no, he's our franchise guy. I'm not going to bench our franchise guy. We're going to work through these issues and try to get better. That should have been the end of it. Yeah, very well should have been, Mike, and it wasn't. And it does make you wonder about Jared Goff's future and the way he's playing, the way he's turning the ball over this season. He, he just has not been consistently good for the team. He's had stretches, but not enough consistently to make you think this is a Super Bowl championship team. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, if, if it wasn't for Carson Wentz, there'd be a lot more scrutiny on whether or not Jared Goff is really delivering on the promise that made him the first overall pick in 2016. All right, rewatch time. 49ers upsetting the Rams, completing the sweep. Kyle Shanahan getting the better of Sean McVay twice. And it's these two coaches who represented the NFC in each of the last two Super Bowls. Best player on the field, Shereen, after you took a closer look at the game. It almost feels like Chuck Halley-ish, right? Well, you know Chuck Halley's the only def- oh, the only t- player on a losing team to win Super Bowl MVP award, and of course he did it against Chuck Halley way back when when, when we were young. He's from is the he really? Town I grew up in went to oh. Warwood High School. The uh, the claim to fame, the only MVP ever ever. Super Bowl MVP from the losing team, Chuck Halley of Wheeling, West Virginia. Yes, Chuck I'm su- I'm stunned well, and, that- and disappointed that you didn't know that. Yeah, I should have known that. Darn it. Um, but Aaron Donald is a lot like Chuck Halley in that he was on the losing side of this, but it was not his fault. And I think his performance, Mike, on Sunday shows two things. One, it shows why he is going to win Defensive Player of the Year yet again. They might as well just rename the trophy the Aaron Donald Defensive Player of the Year Award. Already, I would say, the greatest at his position in NFL history. If he's not the greatest, he's definitely in the top two or three. He's right there. For that, But it also shows why he is not, as the best player in the NFL, is not going to win the MVP award. Because everything he did 
should have meant a Rams victory, but it didn't because of Jared Goff, who we just talked about and we'll talk about more coming up. I mean, this guy had five tackles. He had a sack. He had four quarterback hits. He had a tackle for loss. He had a pass defense that was intercepted. He had a forced fumble that led to a defensive touchdown. I mean, what else do you want the guy to do? They started double and triple teaming him to keep him out of the backfield because he was killing the 49ers play after play after play. Just an outstanding performance. And, you know, a lot of questions that he was asked at the end of last week about, hey, you haven't had any sacks the last two weeks. What's the deal? He answered that on Sunday against the 49ers. Yeah, and uh, one thing that he may have done six weeks ago when the 49ers beat the Rams after Debo Samuel had uh, 66 receiving yards and a touchdown. He was asked about, Donald was, Debo Samuel, and he said, who's that? So uh, if he didn't know then, he knows now because Samuel, who hadn't played in five weeks, was spectacular. He's my player of the game. He was the offense for the 49ers. Want to get this absolutely right here. Where is it? Where is it? I thought I had the stats open. Of course, I didn't. He had 11 catches for over 100 receiving yards. Um, didn't have any rushing attempts. Usually he does. There we go. Thank you very much. 133 yards. He was clearly the best player on offense. Uh, clearly the best player on either side of the ball for the 49ers after five weeks of not playing. And he took to Twitter afterward and tweeted a gif of Aaron Donald slamming down his helmet. So, uh uh, yeah, Aaron Donald knows who Debo, Debo Samuel is now. And and Samuel is a guy that the 49ers took early in the second round of the 2014 draft when they could have taken DK Metcalf. And they took another receiver early third round. I wonder what they would have done if, if DK Metcalf was still on the board. And can you imagine if the 49ers had oh, come Lord. out of the 2019 draft with – Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf. That would be unbelievable, Mike. And and he is just an outstanding player and he showed it again. And the funny thing is somebody responded to his tweet about Aaron Donald saying it takes a really brave man to, to put that up about Aaron Donald. And he tweeted Debo ain't never feared a soul on that gridiron or in real life. And he showed it. I mean, just an outstanding performance. And he shows you what he means to the 49ers and missed a few games this season. He's a really good player, Mike. And when we start mentioning the best receivers in the NFL, we don't talk about him very much. But I think we need to start. If he can stay in the lineup, I think he's going to be one of those guys we do talk about. It was Jalen Hurd of Baylor taking three picks after DK Metcalf by the 49ers uh, instead of DK since he was gone. And Hurd hasn't done anything yet. He's been on injured reserve for the last two years. All right. A player who, after further review, uh, performed better than you may have originally thought, Shereen. Well, Kerry Hyder spent some time with the Cowboys over the last few years, and so I got to know him a little bit. I mean, he was just a guy, right? He's a jag, and he didn't do very much. And he had 10 career sacks before this year, so that tells you exactly where he was. He has seven and a half sacks this season, Mike, and he had two sacks, uh, four tackles, four quarterback hits, a fumble recovery. They returned 14 yards uh, against Rams and just really played well, and he's played well. I think he has four sacks over the last four weeks, and with Nick Bosa being out, and D. Ford is now not going to return. Kyle Shanahan said earlier today he doesn't expect D. Ford to return. So with those guys out, Kerry Hyder's getting his chance, and I think he's showing he can be a very productive player for somebody this year and into the future.
You know, and I originally had Jimmy Ward as my guy. We gave him some props as uh, defensive player of the week. I- I'm going to squeeze in uh, some love for Raheem Mostert. He had a touchdown for the 49ers. He didn't have huge stats, but what really impressed me more than anything else, there was a play where Aaron Donald got a quick jump and blew past the offensive line of the 49ers. And he was, I believe, going to end the life of Nick Mullins if Raheem Mostert hadn't (laughs) intervened to stop him. So that alone, that alone deserves some credit and gets Mostert mentioned here. Even though it wasn't a classic Raheem Mostert huge game, he was coming back after missing several weeks due to injury. He's back as the starting running back. But that play there kept Nick Mullins on the field. Otherwise, it would have been C.J. Beathard for the 49ers. So I got to give Raheem Mostert a little love. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And I think he he's like the like Debo I talked about. He really changes that running game. And another guy we don't talk about either when, when we go to mention really great running backs, but he's one of those guys. And the 49ers just seem to keep coming up with those guys, right? Jeff Wilson has a big game. Matt Burita had a big game for him when he was with the 49ers. I mean, it's just running back after running back. They flip them in there and they do great things. And he's one of those guys. Speaking of running backs, the running back for the Rams had a game to forget, Shireen. Oh, yes, he did. Malcolm Brown, so forgettable. He didn't start the game, Mike, but he played more snaps than any other running back for the Rams, and that that could dwindle going into the next few games because he had a really forgettable game in 25 snaps. He lost a fumble early on the Rams' first series, and the 49ers turned it right back over, so it didn't lead to anything, but he ended up with three carries for four four yards and two catches for 15 yards. Cam Akers ended up being the guy and you might see him getting more snaps, more carries, more action going forward because Cam Akers played much better than Malcolm Brown did. Yeah. Sean McVay really wants to do the three headed monster at running back and have interchangeable parts like the 49ers do. You just, if, if you can't trust one of the guys in a given game, somebody else is going to get more touches. That's the football way. They don't keep going back to the guy who's struggling. They go with the guy who's got the hot hand and Cam Akers had the hot hand on Sunday. For me, it's Jared Goff, and I don't need to spend a lot of time on this. Three turnovers. The interception that he threw to Richard Sherman, it's almost like Richard Sherman was the intended receiver. And, and I think it was Jared Goff sensing the walls closing in, so he forced the ball before he was ready. But, I mean, you're a professional quarterback, and you're making, what, $32, 33000000 million a year. This is not unfair criticism. Unbelievable to see that ball missed as badly as it was. And it was just a bad day for Jared Goff, bad day for the Rams. Now they're seven and four and they got the Cardinals this weekend. Let's take a break. We will continue the process of getting you ready for the three times delayed Raven Steelers game tomorrow afternoon, 3.40 p.m. Eastern. That's when it starts. We'll talk about that when VFT PPM continues right after this. Baltimore Ravens 6 and 4, Pittsburgh Steelers 10 and 0. They finally get together on Wednesday mid to late afternoon. I can't recall a time that a game started at 3:40 p.m. Eastern. And Shereen, by the end of the year, if the schedule holds and if the Vikings and the Saints end up playing on Christmas Day as they are due to, the NFL will have played a game Every single day of the week. I'm sure that's never happened before. But Wednesday gets checked off this week. And uh, Robert Griffin III at quarterback. I remember when he was a rookie and he faced the Steelers. Their game plan was be very physical with him. And they were. And they beat Washington that day. 
Um, I have a feeling that if he tries to run it, if he gets out of the pocket, if they get a fair shot at him, that's what the Steelers do. He better be ready for that, and he better be ready to get down, get out of bounds, or get rid of the football because they are going to be coming, and they're going to be frustrated, and they're going to be angry, and they're going to be salty, and they're going to be ready to hit anything that moves tomorrow. Yeah, Mike, it does look like that this game is going to be on Jeremy Fowler. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jamison Hensley from ESPN, who covers the Ravens, just tweeted that there's no new positives. They're about to get on a plane, head that way. It will end the longest week in NFL history. I mean, this week has just gone on for literally a week of games. Uh, and so we'll hopefully see this game and the Ravens will go on without some players that they need to play. And you said yesterday you're not going to be pushed in a corner. I'm going to be pushed in a corner here. I give the, the Ravens as much chance to win this game as I gave the Denver Broncos to win their game on Sunday. In other words, zero chance. There is no chance the Ravens win this game. I guarantee you, we talked about the tweets at the first of the show that we haven't seen from Steelers players. This is going to be an angry football team, and they are going to take it out on the Ravens tomorrow. And I think it's going to be ugly, and I think it's going to be really ugly for the Baltimore Ravens tomorrow. Well, hopefully – well, no, look, I'm I'm torn here. I'm conflicted. We would prefer to have for NBC big peacock purposes a close game – A compelling game that carries a huge audience into the lighting of the tree. But in the event, because we can't control it, in the event that by the end of the first half, it's clear that Shireen's prediction is right. We will be here to provide you with information about everything else happening in the National Football League. And you could do a two-screen experience. You can do Big NBC and you can do Peacock at the same time. Five o'clock Eastern will be on tomorrow. Football pod in America as well, plus uh, all the updates on everything happening in the NFL. The news is not slowing down and the interest is definitely there. And we all are interested, Shireen, in the same thing. Getting as many games in as possible and having not just a complete season, but a full season. And I hope I'm wrong, Mike. I hope it's a great game tomorrow, and I hope the Ravens play great, and I hope the Steelers play great, and it's a fun game to watch. And uh, bottom line is plenty of Monday and Tuesday games coming up because of that one. That's it for today. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll see you tomorrow.